If you're an author or plan to be one, get excited because this podcast is for you. Book Marketing Mentors is the only podcast dedicated to helping you successfully market and sell your book. If you're ready for empowering conversations with successful marketing mavens, then grab a coffee or tea and listen in to your host, international best-selling author, Susan Friedman. Welcome to Book Marketing Mentors, the weekly podcast where you learn proven strategies, tools, ideas, and tips from the masters. Every week, I introduce you to a marketing master who will share their expertise to help you market and sell more books. Today, my special guest is an education delivery expert. Lizzie Merritt is the Director of Education at Miracy, a special organization serving visionary businesses and entrepreneurs focused on delivering value and making a difference in their world. Prior to that, she taught fitness to moms of small children, and for five years, she taught science to middle schoolers. No easy task. Lizzie loves learning about a whole range of things, but especially behavioral psychology and weight loss. When she's not interacting with the Miracy community, you might find her exercising or writing about peace with the imperfect body. Her book, Seven Ways to Willpower, teaches you how to train your brain to get better results. She's someone I've grown to love, even though we've only recently found each other. Lizzie, what a pleasure it is to welcome you to the show, and thank you for being this week's guest expert and mentor. Great. Thank you, Susan. It is a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate you having me on. So Lizzie, willpower, that's something that truly affects all of us in every area of our life. So firstly, let's start by understanding why willpower is such a big deal, especially when we tell ourselves we don't have any. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Willpower really affects all areas of our lives. It's related to grit and resilience. And number one, it's not a fixed trait. It is something that you can strengthen or improve. And the way you think about it and feel about the the words you tell yourself in terms of like, oh, I don't have any willpower or I can get better at it. Those become self-fulfilling prophecies. And the studies have shown that individuals with greater willpower or more grit or resilience are happier in their marriages. They make more money. They live longer. There's actually, I imagine your audience is probably familiar with the famous marshmallow study. I don't know exactly the dates and details, but the gist of it is that uh, researchers had children in a lab and they gave them a marshmallow. And then, but they said, we're going to walk out of the room and you can have the marshmallow now, but if you wait 15 minutes and don't eat the marshmallow, then when we come back, you can have two. And so the researchers left the room and you know, some children went ahead and ate the single marshmallow. Some children found ways to have willpower and to busy themselves with other things and waited for the two marshmallows. So fast forward several years and their correlation is that those children who were able to demonstrate willpower and delayed gratification were those who were dramatically more successful in life, you know, in all different categories, whether it was health, finance, marriage, and so forth. So there you have it. It's a really big deal. I love that marshmallow example. I know that study 
And I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in that room, just watching those kids resisting eating that marshmallow. That's really tough for those four-year-olds to do that. You call willpower bodybuilding for the brain. What can we do to strengthen that willpower so that we can have it do a better job for us? Sure. Well, I think that first part is recognizing that like I said before, that willpower is not a fixed trait. It is something that you can work on and strengthen. And number one, environment is a huge factor. You're more likely to be able to exercise your willpower if you change your environment. So other studies have shown that, let's say there's a jar of candy on the table. If you simply put the lid on the jar, it's much, much easier to resist dipping your hand into the candy jar simply because there's a small barrier there. There's a a higher activation energy. And so that's a higher activation energy is great when you're trying to avoid something. A lower activation energy is more important when you're trying to do something healthy. So another example is the Sean Aker who wrote The Happiness Advantage. He talks about lowering his activation energy, in other words, improving his willpower to go exercise by sleeping in his exercise clothes and putting his shoes right by his bed so that even though it's a small thing, he didn't have to go to his drawer and figure out, okay, first of all, what am I going to wear? And secondly, where is it? And then third, I've got to actually put it on. Even those are small little bursts of energy. They're enough sometimes to thwart us from the things we want to do. So if you can lower your activation energy for the things you want to do, it improves your willpower. Now I imagine, Susan, maybe you and I can brainstorm with your audience since they're writers, I bet you there's ways that they could lower their activation energy to help them write consistently or do the marketing that they need to do. And perhaps if necessary, increase the activation energy for those distractions like Facebook and so forth. Yeah. And what comes to mind as you say that, Lizzie, are tiny habits. And as you said, with the example that you gave is that you're taking something and you're breaking it up into very small pieces to make it easier for yourself to actually get to do it. Because sometimes I think we look at tasks and we think, oh my goodness, it's so big. I just don't know where to start with it. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. And what comes to mind when you say that is, I can't remember which author I heard this about. It might be Stephen King, but there's a sort of lore that when they would finish writing each night, they would leave an incomplete sentence so that the next morning, the trigger to get started was all I have to do is finish the sentence. So it's going back to your idea of breaking things down into small pieces. If your job to get started is all I have to do to be successful is finish writing this sentence, you're like, oh, that's not that hard. If I have to write seven pages, like, okay, maybe that's, I got to, you know, like prepare for that. That might be an example of breaking down a task into what is something really small that in your mind, it feels like, oh, that's easy. I can do that. And then it kind of builds. I think you're absolutely right. I think it was Stephen King in his book about writing. I mean, that's such a great little, I don't know, trick or a hack for people to do is just to break off and leave something incomplete because I, I believe the brain needs to have closure on things And so that incompleteness, you automatically want to complete it. 
Let's talk about feelings. And I know you've written about this and how feelings affect our thoughts and then how thoughts affect our feelings, because I believe that all has to do with willpower. Absolutely. It's interesting to imagine that the way I feel about a task or about something could actually impact its outcome, or perhaps even the way that I think about something could help me be successful or not. So for example, uh, Kelly McGonigal is the author of two excellent books, The Willpower Instinct, which much of my book is based on, but also a new book called The Upside of Stress. And in her new book, The Upside of Stress, she talks about how, of course, most of the information and news we hear about stress is that stress is very harmful. It hurts your heart. You know, people who are excessively stressed are more likely to die at a younger age and so forth. And, you know, there is science to back that up. But amazingly, the way you view stress, the way you think about it, how you feel about it, actually impacts how stress impacts your body. So for those people who look at stress as a challenge or this is helping me grow or I'm getting stronger as I work through this difficult thing, actually stress really does make them stronger. And it's, again, take a look at her book, The Upside of Stress, to look at the science behind it. But it's really amazing that just the way you view or think about stress literally impacts how it affects your body. And I know that there are many analogs to, you know, all kinds of things within life that, uh, you know, for example, if you're looking at a chore, you know, we discussed a minute ago, Susan, that let's say you told yourself you've got a goal if you want to write 500 words every day and you get up in the morning and you have your coffee and you sit down and you say, okay, now I have to write my 500 words. You've just told yourself, I have to. And we all have our kind of inner child that nobody likes to be told what to do. And so whenever you tell yourself, I have to write 500 words, I have to eat my vegetables, there's already a subconscious inner resistance to that. And so if you can simply switch your words, going back to your question, switch the way you think about it to, okay, now I get to write my 500 words. I've had my coffee. Now I get to write my 500 words. That shifts the mindset to, this is an opportunity. This is something I get to do. And it really impacts the result that comes out the other side. And that goes to, I believe, people talk about making something that you don't necessarily like to do, but you try and make it a game or you make it fun so that you actually look forward to it. Like, for example, cleaning my office is not my favorite task. But if I make it into a game and make it easy for myself, then it isn't such a chore and I don't look at it as something heavy. I look at it as something light and more joyful to do. Exactly. I know that you've done a lot of work with regard to dieting and weight loss. Talk to us about the willpower of food, for instance. I think that's a big one for everybody is like the willpower of not eating what you think you want or you think you want to have. Talk to us about that. Wow. Yeah. Well, that very much goes back to what I was just talking about in terms of I have to versus I get to. So the concept of a diet in general is pretty flawed because we're telling ourselves, I can't have what I want. And ultimately, you know, whether it takes a day or 
a month, the more you tell yourself, I can't do this thing, the more you want it. So the way you think about your food or your exercise or your body really, really makes a difference. So there's no perfect formula and it's all a process. And you know, as you mentioned in the beginning, I sometimes write about the being at peace with the imperfect body and also being at peace with the imperfect nutrition regimen. Um, but the way that I think about it is I try to think about, I get to take care of myself. I get to eat wonderful food that makes me feel great. And if I'm having a stressful day or I'm craving something sugar related, I will use my willpower to say, I get to have something healthy. And if I'm still hungry 10 minutes later for that sugary thing, then I get to have that too. I also would say related to willpower that it is an exhaustible resource. So when you're tired, you haven't slept well, or there's a lot going on in life, think of it like a gas tank. So you're already at a half a tank or less. So usually you're at a full tank of willpower first thing in the morning. And as you or your audience might agree with that, by the end of the day, your willpower is depleted because you've gone through a number of things that can use up that willpower tank. And lots of things can affect your willpower. So it's not just necessarily resisting a sugary food or forcing yourself to go work out. It can be having a difficult conversation or those kinds of things. So the way you think about, you know, I get to do this versus I have to do this can really impact your success in the long run. You talk about the word why and that it's such a power word. Could you tell us why that is? <laughs> <laughs> sure. That can apply to a lot of different contexts. So first of all, if you're talking about your why, your reason why, then you know, obviously there are many books about this as well. You know, uh, Simon Sinek's Start With Why. But the why that you are motivated to do anything really matters. Um, and if it's an intrinsic goal, you know, something inner, it's going to fuel that fire, fuel your motivation and your willpower more successfully over the long run versus if it's an extrinsic goal. Um, I simply want the, the New York Times bestseller because I want to be able to put that on my resume is not going to motivate you as much as I really want to get my message out into the world. Yeah. I love Simon Sinek's book. That's an excellent book, and I highly recommend it to everyone. I'll start with why. That's brilliant. I'd never thought about that before I read that book, and I've listened to his TED Talks, and yeah. he just makes so much sense. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah, why do I want to do that? <laughs> if you don't mind, I'd love to kind of take that same question and answer it in a really different way. Please um, do. Sure. So I know that um, your audience is, is authors and not only is writing a book important, but also once you've written it, then you got to market it so that it can actually get into the hands of your readers. So they'll hear about it. And the way that why comes into marketing is really, really important. And it's very different from the first answer. The why you want to be considering when you're thinking about your marketing, how do I explain my book to my audience so that they'll know they want it? You always want to put yourself in their shoes. So if you are Sally audience member, why does she want to read your book? How does it affect her life? What will be impacted in her life by reading your book? So whenever you're thinking about your marketing, wording, language, your message, always start with 
your audience's why. Why should they read your book? How will it impact them? I think that's such an important message because we tend to get very involved with ourselves and forget our audience member. And really, if we focus on them, and as you rightly say, what's their why for wanting to read your book? And, you know, why should they have your message? What's it going to do for them? How's it going to help them? That's such a critical piece of that puzzle. Absolutely. And as an author, it's difficult sometimes to see the forest through the trees. And a little, you know, hack or a trick to help you get out of your own mind and into the mind of your audience is to enlist the help of a friend who, you know, could be a likely fit for your ideal audience member and say, Hey, you know, can you help me think about this from your point of view? Here's my book. Here's what I think it could do for you. Can you tell me why would you want to read it? And that can help you with your marketing message. Mm, That's really important. I hope our listeners heard you on that one. (laughs) Replay that part, people. I know that our listeners love learning about mistakes. I know we've mentioned a few, especially when it comes to the wordsmithing. What are some other mistakes that uh, you can think of and you could share with us? Sure. So if we're going to stick with the idea or the theme rather of marketing, one mistake is to begin any message with, dear friend, I'm writing a book about such and such, and this is what I've been doing lately. And just, and really anything about you, it's okay to get into what your project is and what you've been working on in the message. But that first sentence needs to be, why is this interesting to the reader? So let's say, for example, you wrote a book about willpower and you're writing out to an email list of people who might be uh, good candidates to buy your book. So I could say, dear Susan, do you ever struggle with willpower? Do you ever feel like it's difficult to avoid chocolate at five o'clock in the afternoon? Well, let me tell you about this book I've been writing and so forth. That's a wonderful approach because you're right. It's always looking at taking the eyes out of everything that you say in your marketing message, because we tend to be very, I did this and I did that, and this is what I have to offer you, rather than, as you say, coming from what uh, the issues are, the challenges, and that you have the solution for their challenges. Yes. This might be a little off topic, but something I've learned as a director of education at Miracy is that if you've ever got any collateral assets that are related to your books, you've got your book, but perhaps you have an online course as well, or perhaps you have an online newsletter that you would love for somebody to give you their email list and enroll in. As you know, on Amazon Kindle, many Kindle books have a like, take a peek inside. And so somebody who is browsing through Amazon, who has not on your email list, perhaps has never even heard of you, but they're interested, like, oh, that looks interesting. I'll take a peek inside. You see the cover page and then perhaps the first chapter or something like that. A trick is between the cover page and the beginning of the content is a short marketing message where you say, want to learn more? Here's a little bit about, you know, whatever the piece is, whether it's your online course or your online newsletter to get them to sign up for your email list and include a URL link to a landing page where they can sign up for more information about your course, sign up for your online newsletter. And that link, by the way, it should not go to your homepage. 
It should only go to your landing page where the only thing they can do from that page is enter their email address and say, yes, sign me up. But that way, someone who is just browsing through Amazon can learn more about you and get on your email list without ever having bought your book. And that way, now you've got additional asset with their email list and you can continue to email them and market to them in the future. Yes, because I think one of the toughest things is, and normally you just don't know who buys your book from Amazon. So using that hack and getting them to at least sign up for something that they may want, may it be at a checklist or tips, hacks or anything like that, then absolutely that's a great way to do it. So Lizzie, you talked about Miracy. Give our listeners a little bit more information about what they do and how they could get hold of you and take it away. Uh, Sure. So uh, Miracy, we are uh, online educators. We help entrepreneurs get their businesses up and running in many different ways. As I mentioned, I'm the director of education. So I primarily help our students who are in the course builders laboratory. So that helps people build an online course. We also do a lot of other things. We have the Business Ignition Bootcamp, which is completely free and teaches entrepreneurs about the fundamentals of business. And basically, we're trying to reimagine business and business education so that kind of everything you wish you learned in business school, but never were taught. Um, So we're kind of trying to revolutionize the business education world. And if folks wanted to get in touch with me, my email address is lizzie at miracy.com. Fabulous. And folks, really check out the programs. I've done several of them. I love their programs. They're very different to anything else out there. And the people at Miracy are just really interested in helping you succeed. And I think that's at the core of so much of what they do. And Lizzie, if you were to leave our listeners with a golden nugget, what would that be? I would go back to the marketing message of always put yourself in the point of view of your reader. It's so natural, especially if we're not trained marketers, that we just begin a conversation talking about our project from our point of view, because that's how we see the world. But so does everyone else. And so when someone else is reading your message, they're reading it from their point of view. So you want to shift the focus of your message from yourself to your reader and help them understand why they need to read your book, why it will help them, and how it could change or help their lives. Wonderful. You've condensed, I think, all the main messages that you delivered here. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. And thank you all for taking time out of your precious day to listen to this interview. And I sincerely hope that it sparks some ideas you can use to sell more books. Here's wishing you much book marketing success. The time is now to take action and finally build your book selling empire. And the great news is that Susan is here to help you. Visit bookmarketingmentors.com and sign up for a free 15-minute book marketing strategy session with Susan. She'll help you discover your first steps to marketing and selling your book. Only those who take action are rewarded, so visit bookmarketingmentors.com, and we'll see you again next week. Hi, it's Susan again with another marketing tip for you. 
Many authors ask me who I can recommend to market their book for them because they see themselves as writers and not marketers. Well, I have good news and not so good news. The good news is that without any shadow of a doubt, you are the absolute best person to market and promote your book. The not so good news is that you are the most fitting and capable person to do the job. A myth many authors believe is that it's the book they're marketing, when in fact it's you, the author, who you need to market. You wrote the book. You're the expert and someone people want to connect with. They look to the author for guidance, inspiration, enjoyment, motivation, and more, depending on the genre of your book. You're the very best person who can market this book. Why? Because you know this book better than anybody else. You've written it. This is your baby. You gave birth to this piece of work. Every message, every word in that book was crafted by you. So who else would be as passionate about marketing your book as you? This is your baby. You've got to nurture and feed it. You've got to help it grow. You don't want to just put it in an orphanage to give it to somebody else to look after. They're never going to look after it and give it the love that you would give it. So what I'm saying is that the best person to market your book is you. But remember that you're not only marketing your book, you're marketing yourself using your book as the vehicle. Tune in again next week for another marketing tip.